Well, good morning. Our brother Buddy is in Massachusetts today, and so uh, we were praying for him and his time speaking with the church up there and blessing them this weekend. I want to begin by saying this morning how intimidating it is to talk about marriage today and to continue this series of marriage. I uh, reminded Buddy of that when he selected me a few weeks ago to fill in for him today that I am one of the younger married people on staff, and clearly there are more qualified choices and people who've been married a lot longer. But since the topic was the mission of marriage, I guess you asked the missions minister to talk about that. So here we are uh, this morning. Uh, at least I don't have to talk about communication in marriage, because I would certainly fail that uh, flatly. You know, Buddy's been teaching as we continue this series. Buddy's been spending the last few weeks giving us a theological foundation of marriage. Why God created marriage. The purposes for which God created marriage. And how we began back in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 2. And God creates a helper for Adam. And this morning I want to just wrap another layer around all of that. And ask the question, to help what? Where, in other words, where is this new relationship between these two people? Where is that going? What is it for? And what can it accomplish for God and in God's kingdom? In other words, the purpose now is bigger than just the two of us and our happiness between the two of us. But it is a marriage that is looking outward. A marriage that is missional so that we help each other that we may help others outside of us. When Amanda and I uh, were going to premarital counseling about 10 years ago, uh, we had the blessing of our campus minister at Auburn, Jim Brinkerhoff, uh, did our premarital counseling. And one of the, he had several things he said very frequently, uh, one of which is that marriage is hard work. I mean, he said that every session, maybe 50 or 100 times. Marriage is hard work. You know, I don't regret it. I would do it again. But that doesn't change the fact that it's hard work, right? He also said at the end of our session together, he did something I don't guess that I was really expecting. And he challenged us to set some goals together. We had this little worksheet we filled out, you know, and and we had to establish goals, you know, for the next six months of our marriage and then, you know, five years out. and And really the challenge was to think about where, what do we want to do for God's kingdom. We can be so focused on the short term that we forget why God has created marriage in us and how He wants to use that to the benefit of His kingdom. And of course now, I I occasionally meet with premarital couples here in the church and I sit and watch couples sometimes really struggle to fill out that, that exercise. And, you know, it's easy to say things like, well, we want to, you know, be debt-free in five years. You know, we want to pay off the credit cards in this amount of time. It's a lot harder to say, you know, when we're 60, I want our marriage to have made a difference in God's kingdom. I want our marriage to have done something that really counts in life, that we could not have done apart from one another. I remember when, before uh, I decided to give Amanda a ring, one of my test questions uh, was, you know, uh, I asked her, Amanda, what if God 
uh, calls us to retire in the mission field. We don't get the white picket fence, you know, and all the luxuries of American retirement. What if the Lord moves us to some remote location? Would you be okay with that? And of course, she passed the question, okay? Now, that was back in the days when I was just the college minister here. Missions wasn't even on our radar as a livelihood at that point. Had no clue that God was going to kind of move that time frame up a little bit more and that I was going to be uh, in the nation's a lot more. And this morning, what I want to do is examine a biblical example of somebody who really models this for us in some surprising ways. And so if you've got your Bible this morning, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 6. And I'm going to use this verse, this text of Jesus, to, to use it as a springboard to talk about marriage this morning. You know, a lot of times when we read the words of Jesus, we often reflect on those individually or inwardly, and certainly there's a place and a time for that. But as people, when you come into a marriage relationship, there's also a sense in which we read the words of Jesus through the lens of marriage. And so in Matthew chapter 6 here, of course, the very famous uh, Sermon on the Mount, a lot of uh, teaching in here that many of us are very familiar with, but I want to read it through a little different lens this morning. Matthew chapter 6. Verse 31 through 34. The, co- the context here, Jesus is discussing about worry, right? Not worrying about tomorrow. Where all, you know, where's our food coming from tomorrow? Where's our housing coming for tomorrow? And he says, so don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. And all these things will be given to you as well. And so if that's true of me as an individual, that my calling, Jesus has taught us that we are to seek the kingdom first and His righteousness, how much more true is that when two married people are a team together that now it's just not me seeking the kingdom, it is us seeking the kingdom together. Us seeking God's righteousness together. And so seek the first the kingdom means not choosing me first. You, you can't choose both. <laughs> it's either the kingdom first or me first. And uh, many of you know Al Milligren on our staff who works with a lot of marriages. And Al was sharing with us uh, earlier in the week as we were talking about marriage. He said, you know, the number one issue I deal with in marriage that causes problems is not infidelity. The number one issue I deal with is selfishness. People choosing self first over their marriage or over the kingdom, over being what God wants us to be. And that is what is at the root of so many of these other problems that result in our marriages today because the temptation is to focus on our own problems and look inward in our marriages. But when both people are intent on being kingdom people, kingdom first, righteousness first, then our partnership in our marriage gets stronger. And seeing the kingdom first changes our priorities in our marriage. And so when we make decisions as a couple... Where are we going to live? 
What school are we going to send our kids to? Where are we going to work? What kinds of careers are we seeking? Those priorities are affected by being kingdom people first. So how is your marriage at seeking the kingdom? How's my marriage at seeking the kingdom? That's a difficult question to ask. And I want to look at a married couple who became one of Paul's best co-workers here in Acts chapter 18 this morning. So flip over there to Acts chapter 18. A couple that found themselves maybe a little unknowingly in the center of God's plan. So much of the book of Acts, we, we focus on Paul, and rightly so, as a single person who accomplished amazing and incredible things for the kingdom. And single people can do that. We were sharing in our staff uh, this week with some of our single uh, singles on staff to say, you're at an amazing stage in life right now where you can do things for the kingdom that us married folks can't. So take advantage of that time. And here's a couple, though, that joined with Paul to use their marriage for kingdom purposes. Okay, so this is Acts chapter 18, verse 1. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. So before we continue, I want to give us, frame the context here of this statement. And not to forget that Aquila and Priscilla were refugees. Here they are, living in the city of Rome, and the Emperor Claudius orders all of the Jews to leave Rome. Evidently, there was some sort of disturbance, some sort of riot, maybe some accusations. There's also extra-biblical historical evidence that this happened. And probably, we don't know for sure, but probably Aquila and Priscilla, although it says they were Jews, probably were Christians by this point. They were Jewish Jews who had become Christ followers at the church in Rome, most likely. And here they are being forced out, forced away from everything that they've known, from their home. We don't know their surrounding. They've lost their career. Okay? And, you know, this is, you know, refugees are in the news a lot today. I mean, you've seen the same news pictures that I have of all of these Syrians fleeing across the border into Turkey. They lose everything. Sleeping in tents. And Aquila and Priscilla had no United Nations refugee fund to be their backup. And before long, they find themselves 600 miles away from where they were living in a new city called Corinth. Probably with very little faith support. We knew there was a synagogue there, but the church really in Corinth had not yet been planted probably because they're on the way there. And so here is a couple who's lost everything. And I think just, I want to say, some of you I know can relate to that. That you know what it's like to maybe find yourself unemployed, losing everything, losing your job, maybe having to move to a new place, a new community, losing your home, maybe starting over. And just when you're tempted to think that God may be punishing you, it could be that God is putting you exactly in the center of where He wants to be to use your marriage for His purposes. 
And so this morning, and that, by the way, should take away a lot of our pathetic excuses that we use, right? I mean, here's a couple that's going to be used in a mighty way from God, having been stripped of everything and having to move to a new culture, a new place, a new community. How much more should we as God's people be able to use our marriages for kingdom purposes? Number one, a few aspects of of their missional marriage that we're going to look at in this text. First of all, they were a people of hospitality. They were a people of hospitality. Imagine uh, this scene with me that this guy named Paul comes in. All right, Now, you're a refugee and you've just taken the skills that you had. We know they were tent makers. They're taking their skills and they probably just started life over. They got in the marketplace and they were using their skills and their talents to support their family. And this guy named Paul comes in and Paul's looking for them. Probably because somebody had said, hey, if you're headed to Corinth, you need to meet this couple, Aquila and Priscilla. They'd probably be good partners with you, Paul. And so Paul, can you imagine, comes to them and they meet each other and they learn that they're both tent makers and they start using this and Aquila and Priscilla say, hey, why don't you come stay with us? Let's open a business together. Let's impact the kingdom together. So their home here is open to Paul. Their home is open to others and to be used for the kingdom. And God uses that to help establish this church in Corinth and later on in Ephesus. Two great churches that we have New Testament books on because this couple was willing to open their home to a guy named Paul. And we just cannot underestimate this morning how important hospitality is in the ministry of of God's kingdom. And it's really sadly something that Americans have lost out on over the years. Although we have the biggest houses of any nation in the world, many of us have fewer people into our homes than people who live in abject poverty. Welcoming a spirit of welcome into our homes is a tool of the kingdom. I just think, I mean, there's lots of examples in this church family this morning of this. I just think about David and Martha Jackson who through the years have just opened their home to 19 foster kids. Jack and Julie Johnston, 18 foster kids. Our home is a place of welcome, bringing people in, a refuge to say, come in from out of the cold, come into our home where you'll experience something really special. You'll experience the presence of God's Spirit, experience the love of God. Um, Back last year, Amanda and I had been uh, in Africa with our kids for seven weeks while we were building our surgery center in Malawi. We got home, and there was this message on our answering machine. And it was this lady. We didn't know. She said, hi, I'm such and such, and I'm recruiting host families for international students. And uh, we have a student for you that we'd love to talk to you about. Okay, we've just been gone seven weeks. I'm like, Amanda, don't even return that phone call. Okay, we just need to like veg out here and rest. And I, I cannot even think about, you know, all the life-altering consequences that would have 
you know, and schedules and, you know, between our seven-year-old and our four-year-old. I mean, you know, life is just a little harder at this stage right now. And the thought of bringing in a teenager high school student is just about to send me into cardiac arrest. So don't even call her back. And so we did. And we don't even know how this lady got her name, by the way. I mean, you know, some, I, I, anyways, so this, she calls back two weeks later. Would not leave us alone. Another message. Amanda starts looking at me. I think we need to call her back. You know, and I'd been thinking about it too. I know, we probably should. I just, uh. <laughs> you know, and wrestling with, I mean. So fine. I said, okay, here's the condition before this lady comes over for this meeting. The condition is if she starts putting religious restrictions on us that we can't share our faith or we can't take her to church, then there's no deal here. Okay. If we're doing this, we're doing this for the kingdom and uh, we'll be able to share our faith with her. Lady comes over to our house. First thing she says, oh, I love the fact that you're a Christian couple. I just want these students to know the Lord. We just knew right then, okay. (laughs) I guess the Lord wants us to do this and to welcome this girl into our home. And so sure enough, a couple of weeks later from Kazakhstan, Batima arrives at our door and we welcome her into our homes from a Muslim country. And Batima radically altered our family in a wonderful way. Yeah, there was, you know, some hassles with scheduling and getting a high schooler to and from activities and things that most people normally do. But she became a part of our family. And in that, and coming here, she experienced the love of Christ and things that she had never seen before, worshiping the Lord and bedtime prayers and bedtime stories with our kids that shaped her. And she felt that. And on her last day here... When she was sharing with our family, she was just in tears and tears and tears. You know, she never had a dad. She never had a brother and sister. You have been that for me. Unfortunately, that same recruiter told us that Christian families are often some of the hardest people to get to host international students. And that really broke my heart as well. But the warmth and the welcome of our home is a tool for God's kingdom. And we need to use that in our marriages and in our families. Number two, their teamwork in their ordinary jobs was for God. Their teamwork in their ordinary jobs was for God. Some of us think that because we're not in full-time ministry, that God can't use what we do for His purposes. And that's a lie from the enemy. If you're an accountant, there's a purpose and there's a reason. If you're a lawyer, if you're in the medical field, If you're a janitor, those things are all can be used as tools for God's kingdom. And especially here between Aquila and Priscilla, their partnership together as just tent makers was a tool that God used in his kingdom as hospitality, welcoming Paul, supporting their family together so that they could share. And I just wonder how they use that little tent making business for God's glory. In fact, the shops in Corinth still exist today. I've had the chance to go to Corinth and walk the ancient little streets there and the little shops, the little outlines, some of them are in crumbling ruins. They're still there today. You can go. And I remember standing there thinking, I I wonder which one of these was 
Aquila and Priscilla's shop. And how this community knew that this was a business they, they wanted to do business with. So they used their careers for God's glory. And obviously they were successful because they had enough house and resources here to welcome Paul into their home as well as others. And God blessed them in that. Sometimes teamwork in our ordinary jobs means one partner makes sacrifices so that the other can be and do where God wants him to be. A lot of you know that I I do a lot of traveling around the world. And my wife bears the brunt of the seven-year-old and the four-year-old when I'm gone in our family. And that's part of our teamwork. That she enables me to do things around the world and keep our family running, keep our home running while I'm away. And that's a ministry. That's part of our teamwork. And some of you have similar ways that God is using you in your marriage for his kingdom. I think about Ken and Phyllis right here. I know they are going to hate me calling them out this morning, but both of them are in education. And so what do they do? They use their careers as educators and say, hey, let's bless orphans Every year, we're going to dedicate a part of our time to go into Africa and teaching orphan kids. They're using their careers, their skills for kingdom glory. And some of us need to be challenged in that. How can we, what do we as a couple do together? What are are just even our hobbies, our activities? How can those things be used to bless others and serve those in need? And so Paul stays on there. For about 18 months in Corinth, working with Aquila and Priscilla. And there's some hardships, but God really blesses that little church there. And it grows. And at some point, Paul begins to have the conversation with Aquila and Priscilla that probably went something like this. Hey guys, you know, hopping over to Asia Minor over here, there's a lot of people that need the gospel. I'd love for you guys to think about going with me. Can you imagine that conversation in Aquila and Priscilla's home that night? My goodness, we just established ourselves here. We just left Rome. We already lost everything we had. And now Paul's talking about leaving again, packing up our life, and moving another thousand miles away to Ephesus. There must have been some long nights spent in prayer with that decision. But the Lord must have spoken to them. Because we know that they picked up their lives and moved. Let's continue in verse 18 here of Acts chapter 18. Paul stayed on in Corinth for some time, and then he left the brothers and sailed for Syria, accompanied by Priscilla and Aquila. Before he sailed, he had his hair cut off at Sincrea because of a vow he had taken. And they arrived at Ephesus, where Paul left Priscilla and Aquila And he himself went into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to spend more time with them, he declined. But as he left, he promised, I will come back if it is God's will. And then he set sail from Ephesus. And so now, after this time in ministry and partnership together with Aquila and Priscilla, these 18 months in Corinth, he now takes them to a new city. And guess what? Hey guys, I think the Lord wants me to keep going, but I think you need to stay. I think you need to give birth to this church here. I want you guys to continue this Christian witness and continue the ministry here. And so they do that. 
Let's keep going in verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the Scriptures, and he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only of the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, and when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they, here's our hospitality again, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. And when Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he had vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the Scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. So here we are, number three, that Aquila and Priscilla, they were teachers and equippers together. Notice that it just wasn't Aquila that was the one that was doing some teaching here. It was also Priscilla as well. In fact, her name is mentioned first. About half of the whole New Testament mentions of Aquila and Priscilla, her name comes first about half the time. So combined with their hospitality, they use their home for private teaching, for mentoring, for equipping of this guy, Apollos, who's going to become a powerful Christian witness in the world. What about you and your spouse? And I know you may not feel like superior Bible teachers. That's not the issue. The issue is what lessons in life do you know? Can you share? How can you mentor someone? Hardships, even bad stuff that's happened in your marriage to say, hey, we've been down that road. You don't want to go that way. Let's tell us what's worked for us. Let's pray with you. And use your marriage as a way to teach and equip others together. There's something beautiful about that partnership. I think about Paul and Carolyn right here. They're passionate teachers together with their Freedom in Life class. They're writing a book together right now. They want to do ministry and equip others in God's kingdom in this area. Think about Alan Candy Crosby who work with our 5th and 6th graders. Alan Candy teach the same age, grade. They're doing leadership development with our kids and they teach the whole year. Every Wednesday night, the whole year, they're mentoring and developing and equipping our young people for Christ. Or Greg and Rayla, who are in even the younger grades, first and second grade, teaching together, doing this as a ministry. Junior and Becky Bagwell, Junior and one of our elders here. I love Junior and Becky. They went to Tanzania a few years ago, and Kevin, our missionary there, asked them to teach about marriage. Would you guys just share, Junior and Becky, you've been married about 35 years, and just tell, teach about marriage. Man, you should have seen the Tanzanians when they learned that Junior Bagwell was a truck driver, and truck drivers have the same reputation in Africa as they do in America, okay? So when they learned that Junior Bagwell was a truck driver for 30-something years, and when he said to them, and I've been faithful to my wife the whole time, it was like their mouth fell open and hit the floor. So the men, Junior, come this way, you know? So they start taking Junior's side. Tell us, how do you stay with the same woman for 35 years? And the next thing you know, all the women over here with Becky, 
how do you get your husband to be faithful to you as a truck driver for 35 years? Okay? And they, it was just a beautiful scene, the way that they were using their marriage in a cross-cultural context even. as ministry, teaching together. Let's flip over to the next book in the Bible there in Romans chapter 16. Romans chapter 16. Paul has been long gone now from Ephesus as he's writing the book of Romans and his closing greetings here. He mentions Priscilla and Aquila again. This is verse 3. Greet Priscilla and Aquila my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, they risked their lives for me. Not only I, but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Now there's a story here. We don't even know what the story is. We don't even know what the risking that Aquila and Priscilla did was. This is going to be a great question for heaven. What, what was it that they risked for Paul? What happened here that they stuck their neck out on the line? For Paul, but whatever it was, he was eternally grateful for them. And not only Paul, but here is a region of churches. Man, thank Aquila and Priscilla for what they've done for us. How they've been a blessing to us, strengthened us, and encouraged us in our faith. And that's point number four here. They risked in order to rescue others. This Jewish couple who becomes Christians, now becomes a powerful cross-cultural influence on the Gentile churches. Could anyone say that about you and your spouse? What legacy are you going to leave? What risks are you going to take for the kingdom? And that doesn't mean that you know, you've got to move overseas and that's a risk. I mean, there are risks you take here at home in your marriage knowing that you want the Lord to use that. Stepping out in faith doing what seems impossible. Why? So that others will benefit. Others will be rescued. So this morning, maybe your marriage is kind of stuck in a rut. Maybe it's been going through some of the problems that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. Maybe it's because there's a me first instead of a kingdom first attitude. Maybe your marriage has turned inward instead of serving others, serving each other, your problems are what has been front and center. Maybe there needs to be a reorientation about what's important in your lives. So I don't know what specific mission that God has for you and your marriage this morning, but I know He's got something. He's got some kingdom business that He wants you to accomplish together. This morning, if we can pray for you, pray for your marriage, there's going to be some couples that are in the back that would love to be just there for you to pray with you over these. If there's an issue in this morning that we can lift up before the whole church, say, I want to be a part of God's mission. I want our marriage to be a part of God's mission. And we'd love to pray for that. If you just want to accept the call to be on mission with God, if you've never given your life to the Lord, that's where it starts. It starts with a commitment to say, Lord, I want you to be first. If that's never happened to you, we'd love for that to happen this morning. Would you stand as we stand together and sing?